All right, this is Chris Ryan from uh, for uh, Tell the Damn Story, and I'm still at Pulp Fest. It's been a fascinating weekend, and I'm here with two gentlemen uh, with a fascinating uh, uh, set of uh, products that I want them to tell you about. So please uh, say hello, Bob Dice. Hello. And Wyatt Doyle. Hello. Okay, now you two gentlemen do something that I found kind of unique. What is it that you produce together? Uh, we, we collaborate on a series of books uh, under the banner of the Men's Adventure Library, uh, published by New Texture. And what we're trying to do is reintroduce uh, the classic pulp fiction story, sort of post-pulp fiction of the Men's Adventure magazine genre, which uh, was a genre of, of fiction and, and magazines that thrived for, uh, in the era from the 1950s through the early 70s. And um, when I was looking at some of your material, the names of these writers, there's like a, a just a list of stars. Can you tell me some of the people who uh, appear in these books? Well, yeah, it's interesting. There, there were all kinds of writers who wrote for men's adventure magazines, and especially in their early career, early in mm -hmm. their careers, just like for the pulp magazines before that. And I know um, Lawrence Block was there. Lawrence Brock, uh, Robert Silverberg, Harlan Ellison, Bruce J. Friedman, uh, Walter Wager. Um, Martin Cruz Smith. Martin yeah. Cruz Smith. Um, uh, Mario Puzo. Wow. was an, a, both a writer for those magazines and an associate editor hired by Bruce J. Friedman, who went on to be, become a world-known, uh, worldwide, world-famous playwright and sure. author. Yeah. Um, and Mario Puzo wrote under the, the name, his own name in some cases, but under a pseudonym, Mario Clary. And he wrote all kinds of wild stories. All these writers did things that were often different than what they went on to do later. Right. You know, action-adventure stories, it's, war stories. It's kind of like sowing their wild oats, right, this kind of, this genre. That's is where there is almost no holds barred, and they're going in all sorts of stuff. I mean, one of the books is, is it, if I remember correctly, is Weasels Rip My Flesh, yeah. right? That's, what a great title. <laughs> that was actually a real story, and, uh, and uh, a men's adventure magazine, Man's Life in September 1959 uh, was written by an unknown author. The, the, the name that was used was a pseudonym, but it's right. actually a great wild story. The cover of that was done by an artist named Will Halsey. And Will was one of the greatest of all the men's adventure artists. And Frank Zappa had a copy of that magazine. Right. And he stole that title for one of his albums yes. for, for Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, made the title famous. Well, years, that was that was 1970. Right. By then, men's adventure magazines were starting to fade away. Uh, most people didn't know about Man's Life magazine. Right, right. Uh, but when, when he used that title, his fans started looking into, where'd that come from? And eventually, some of them figured out it was Man's Life. That's how I got in, partly how I got into it, because there was uh, a book were... that came out in uh, uh, called It's a Man's World uh, by Adam Parfrey right. about the men's adventure genre. This was about, uh, what, 12, 12 years ago, roughly. And another one came out that year called Men's Adventure Magazines. And I saw those books, and I remembered, and they mentioned Weasels Rip My Flesh, and I remembered the Frank Zappa album. 
And I went online and I, I, I looked up that cover and it just blew my mind. Oh yeah. And I said, wow, that, that's just great artwork. So the artwork got me into it, but then I started buying the magazines on eBay because it had, be you couldn't find men's adventure magazines at the used bookstore. Anywhere store. else, no, no. But eBay came along and you could find them. So I started buying men's adventure magazines. This was about 10 years ago. I got hooked. I now have over 5,000 issues. Of that's that's hooked. That's like you need a 12-step program hooked. Yeah. <laughs> and it so happened that one of the editors of Men's Adventure magazines, Bruce J. Friedman, mm -hmm. his son, Josh Allen Friedman, is a friend of Wyatt Doyle. Ah, fantastic. And by that connection, uh, Josh kind of hooked Wyatt and I up. And uh, five years ago, we decided to do the first modern anthology of men's adventure magazine stories under the title Weasels With My Flesh, featuring a lot of those famous authors. And then White and I have been working together to keep doing it ever since. In, in uh, uh, full disclosure, I have met Bruce J. Friedman at the Southampton Writers' Conference years ago. Wow. And we had to do different readings. So I had read um, a chase scene from my first novel, City of Woe, and there was this young kid there. He was like, "Yeah, hey, you don't need, you don't need all the street signs and all the different." And Bruce J. Friedman says, "No, I grew up in the Bronx. I loved every one of those street signs." <laughs> so yes, well, Bruce J. Friedman is my hero for this defending me in that moment. There is a um, um, an aspect of your. Uh, partnership that we should talk about to this this con this pulp fest is the first time you've actually met face to face correct that's that's true um we connected via the internet just uh years ago and started we got along started chatting and bob proposed i was publishing at that point under new texture and bob uh, said you know there's there's these books are these are, these magazines are really interesting i think i was already interested in them and he said i think there's a there's a book in these, mm -hmm. and now there's how much? There, there seems there to be a, <laughs> ten eight, books in this. Well, there's eight in the series. It depends on how you count them, but we have hardcover and softcover version editions of right. the, the latest ones. Uh, Wyatt is a great book designer. That's one and an editor, and we co-write the introductions to the books. One of the things that I I've wanted, always wanted to do, and Wyatt was on board with, was add context. In other words, I didn't just want to republish the stories without any information about yeah. who the writers and artists and publishers were. So Excellent. in every one of our books, we provide context about the writers, the artists, the publishing companies involved, um, and in some cases, uh, you know, background on the stories. Well, the context is so important, too, because what, what separates these stories um, and, and the work that we're republishing uh, what separates that from, say, traditional pulp fiction, however people d might define that, um, or just fiction in general from that era, is that the men's adventure magazines were very specifically targeting a working class readership. Mm -hmm. We're talking uh, post-war, so most of, the, most of the American males in the country were veterans. Right. And this was the stuff that they were reading uh, for publicity. And of course you have to, like, like any time you're, you're looking at older literature, this was a time when, when Americans really read for pleasure in a sure. way that's off the charts compared to how little Americans read for pleasure right. today. Uh, there was less competition then, you know? 
Not every house had a TV, no less yeah. 15 ways to watch something that, you know, cell phones and laptops and For iPads. Sure. And so there was more. You but know. It also, I mean, the, the thing about it is, yes, it's great Pulp Fiction. Yes, it's very exciting. Yes, sometimes it's, I mean, it's very caffeinated writing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's intense. They're these short, sort of sharp bursts of action and adventure and uh, explosive, explosive uh Blood. 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 <laughs> Blood guts. my flesh. Yeah, yeah. You read that story, which we include in the in, in, our, in that in the first book, yeah. That is a bloody noir-style story. Yeah. Guy gets does get ripped to shreds by killer weasels. By killer weasels. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I mean, what what makes it so important to me, aside from its value as entertainment or as as pulp literature, is the idea that what we're seeing in these magazines is the the only whereas the the, the upper tier uh, men's magazines of those er, of that era playboy esquire etc those were all targeted to a a more acquisitive um readership these were people who were striving mobile for, yeah mm-hmm. would be executives and or at least adventure, in their minds yeah right. yeah that was the goal and i mean the men's adventure magazines that the, they more didn't blue collar they had no ambitions in that direction. They were not interested in selling you a hi-fi system. They were interested in entertaining you and, in as much as they could, um, reflecting the attitudes and the the uh, interests of their readership and as much as they were able to glean it. So for me, I look at these magazines above and beyond their qualities as, as writing, as fiction, as pulp, as uh, an insight into a sector of America and Americans um, who are otherwise pretty unrepresented in um, in the, the historical stuff that survived. It's very easy to find collections that Playboy has published of like Playboy's greatest fiction or Esquire's, right. you know, multi-volume. The Bruce right. J. Friedman also wrote for. Right. Yeah. But I mean, well, as far as the stuff... He like, was flexible. Was the, you know, yeah, Bruce. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, as far as as far as what was the average working stiff, what what were their what were their fantasies? I mean, we right. learn a lot about ourselves from from our sure. fantasies and our interests, and uh, yeah. That that leads me to um, at least one, and maybe coming to a second art book that you have. Speaking of male fantasies, uh, who was that artist, and can we talk a little bit about that? I will say beautiful book that I cannot bring home to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, the book's called Pollen's Women, and it's by, the artist's name is Samson Pollen. And um, he was one of the most prolific and, and most gifted of the illustrators who uh, provided work for the men's adventure magazines. Um, he's still with us. Unlike a lot of these artists, a lot of the artists who were his contemporaries and his peers, um, a lot of artists figured, oh, there's no market for this stuff. It, it ran once. No one will ever want it. It has no value at this point. They threw them away. They gave them away. Um, they sold them for peanuts um, to whoever would would uh, pay the, the few bucks for them. Samson Pollan was an artist who felt, oh, I, I think this stuff may have value in the future somehow. And he retained his work. And... Um, Again, he's still with us. We, we, we were able to connect with him, and he's well, been... Well, another friend of ours, yeah. Rich Oberg, is mm-hmm. the biggest collector of original men's adventure magazine artwork in the world. And one of the guys here, Martin Walker, uh, who's been going to pulp cons for decades, mm-hmm. sold Rich's first men's adventure magazine paintings, and Rich has a big collection of Sam's and Pollen art that he bought from Sam. He went to New York City in Manhattan, 
where Sam lives. Rich and I became friends after I started writing my blog, menspulpmags.com, about men's adventure magazines, and Rich contacted me, and uh, um, Rich told me Sam was still alive, wow. and he sent me a bunch of emails he had from Sam that laid out Sam, where Sam sent him his whole life story in emails. Oh, cool. It was fascinating. And so I said, wow, can you give me Sam's phone number? And he did. Called Sam up out of the blue, said, hey, Sam, we do these books about men's adventure magazine stories and artwork. Can we do a book about your artwork? He said, sure. Boom. And then Wyatt went to see him in, in Manhattan. Yeah, what I mean, was that like to walk in and see all this artwork? Oh, I mean, first off, it, it was very, um, it was, it was such a great honor that he would even say, "Oh, come to, come to my place," and then to take me into his studio and get to see where a lot of this stuff was produced. And then he was just pulling, just painting after painting off his shelves and saying, "Remember this one, this one, this one." And I'd seen a lot of them sure. in print or in um, photos that he had shared, but to see them in person, it, you know, it's a whole other thing. Oh. And um, the thing that makes him interesting to me uh, compared to some of the other artists in terms of his uh, he, there were there were a few things that he was extremely good at and um w action was one of them mm -hmm. he's he's a really um very skilled at at presenting action in a way that is immersive um you feel like you're in the scene it draws you in um there are his sense of perspective and, and depth are, are really something special and his sense of male fantasy because they're the oh my <laughs> god oh my god beautiful you know and and not to be sexist or anything but the paintings are of uh so many of them are of moments that would be the highest of fantasy for sure you know well, just the, it's not, it's, it, not nudity not rude not yeah, crude that but was one of the things about men's adventure magazines right. it, it, it moment of Possibility. Let's put it that oh, yeah. way, right? Uh, they sex. fell short of being porn. Yes, sex sells, right? but yeah, but, and, uh, but they were the women were alluring. Hmm. They're also dangerous. Oh yeah. You know, uh, and a lot of them were tough. He, he also did, you know, tough women who were fighting alongside men, fighting against the the Germans or the Japanese All or right. other. Whoever was like the uh, the. And the other thing about him was the interesting. Era. Uh, he preferred to do interior illustrations so he could do a two-page spread. Yeah. Across two pages. So he wasn't the cover guy. He liked right. it. Yeah. He, no he did a few. Did a few. He did lots of paperback covers. Yeah. And we're considering doing a book to show his paperbacks. Were they wraparound or just the, the mostly front? not? No. That's fascinating. They were mostly That's fascinating. just front covers. He, but as far as his women, I mean, like Bob is saying, it, it, I think a lot of people there's there's a mis, uh, misconception that these men's adventure magazines are are especially seedy or sleazy or, or demeaning to, toward women in some way. The thing to keep in mind, there are a few things to keep in mind. For one, there were about 6,000 issues published from right. a variety of publishers under a variety of different titles. About 160 different titles, yeah. They're all different, just like you wouldn't say, and there are no, no two film magazines are right. the same, no two, any type of magazine are the same. So there are tiers to this stuff, but as you get into it, you start to recognize the levels. Sam's women were not. Now there are women who are victims in these in men's adventure artwork, and there are women who are cowering in fear. And, uh, you know that's that's part of the of of some of the the image. Nazi but, style, man, the Nazi bondage and torture covers right, the, right. the subgenre called sweat mags. But I don't remember seeing Sam's stuff. No, that, that's stuff not his not, stuff at all. That's what's so interesting, and it's he's never said it. And when I brought it up, he he's kind of moved past it, like it's not something that occurred to him. But 
I think your your art is often an expression to some extent of your own feelings and oh, attitudes sure. about a, yeah. about a subject, even when it's a work for hire assignment, an illustration assignment. And Sam's women are, I mean, without fail, without they're fail, in charge. Right. They're not. Be, they're they're not very victims. strong characters. They're very. When you look at them on the page, they're not cowering. They're usually they're front and center. They're taking charge. They're so. So it's it's kind of an interesting. It's very interesting that uh, very often they are less honorable than the men in the uh, oh, yeah. depicted. Yeah, oh, so, right? They're in charge. Yeah, of yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> so you have men's adventures, story, prose, and artwork, um, uh, 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 kind of bringing back a lost era. I wanted to quickly go through how do you work together? Because again, this is the first time you've seen each other, but how? who does what? How does this work? It's evolved. I mean, originally, yeah. uh, with Weasels Rip My Flesh, I had this idea, and I picked a whole bunch of stories that I really liked, uh, and included uh, some by name authors, mm-hmm. like so Robert Silverberg, mm-hmm. and Lawrence Block, and Harlan Ellison, and Bruce J. Friedman, and, and said, how about this? And why I said, said, great. And so he said, you know, you scan the, the covers and art that goes with it, and I'll put it together as a book. We did that, and then there was the, the, the second one we did featured one particular great forgotten writer, Walter Cayley, who mm-hmm. was Bruce J. Friedman's favorite writer, one of the best action-adventure writers ever who worked for Men's Adventure magazines. And so I kind of picked those stories and, and, and Wyatt put that together. But then we started thinking about where, we're gonna go, where do we go next? And then Wyatt started coming up with the ideas of, and I give him great credit for this, how do, how do we expand this beyond the small niche of fans of men's adventure magazines? And he said, we go, we, we, we start doing themes. And I don't know if that's how you had it in your head, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is like the, each of these projects, we always have about six projects that are gestating at any given time. Sure. And it, it's, they're like, they're all, I think of them as almost like they're, they're about like these lumps of clay and bobble, make some adjustment to it and step away and then I'll make some adjustment then Bob will see what I did and be like oh yeah and then, and then this too so it becomes this there's there are some projects we have a book called barbarians on bikes which is focused on um, the uh, motorcycle gangs and the idea of motorcycle gangs as a menace was a very very popular trope in the men's adventure magazines there were just many many stories and many great covers and illustrations of these bikers terrorizing small towns and being uh, fended off by by uh, military veterans, um, and initially we were talking <laughs> Reacher about, before Reacher, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so initially that book was going to be a, was going to have a wider focus where we we're going to say like, oh, just kind of the different gangs. Because there were also beatniks, beatnik right. gangs, and juvenile delinquent gangs, and <laughs> and and satanic cults. I mean, all the any kind of antisocial group became a good potential uh, villain in the right. adventure thing. And um, so that book started out, I mean, we, we did quite a bit of work on that Well, book. it was your idea. He said, could you put together a book full of the art, let's try an art book of, of covers and interior illustrations that would be all about bikers and motorcycle gangs. And I said, yeah, because I knew it was there because right. I'd seen them in my collection. And, and then he came up with that idea. I said, well, what, what else could we do like that? And, mm-hmm. and and I said, well, you know, we could do monsters. We got lots of big, big, Bigfoot is popular. 
And so he said, well, see what you can find. So I started doing, looking and I gave him some examples. And uh, he said, great. I'm a monster guy. I mean, as soon as he said that, the, that there was a lot of sort of these cryptozoological specimens that had been analyzed, I said, well, we really need to take a hard look at that and see. And as we did, the inter the, another great thing about the work on these books is as we start to research a topic and see how we're going to make a book out of it, we end up invariably learning how men's adventure magazines, which we agree and have felt from the start have, are very influential on our popular culture, um, although because they've never had a real revival, right. most people are unaware of them. They're kind of the echoes of men's adventure magazines are reverberate constantly in our popular culture, but people don't necessarily know where it came from or think think about right. where it came from. So what we've learned in putting these books together is just how much and how specifically men's adventure magazines made an impact on grindhouse cinema, sure. for instance. Cryptozoology was a situation where there were not really other magazines covering Bigfoot sightings right. or Loch Ness Monster information or discussions about the Yeti in any significant way. So men's adventure magazines, while that wasn't their sole focus, while it was one of, of numerous things they were focused on, it kept a candle in the window for the people who were interested in that. And a lot of contemporary cryptozoologists and people who are fascinated by that that realm now say, yeah, if it wasn't for this issue of man's life, this issue of for men only that had this or that in it. True, Argosy, all of those yeah. magazines had in, in from the mid 50s to into the 70s regularly had uh, before all the Bigfoot movies were popular, you know, they were doing stories about Bigfoot sightings and and Abominable Snowman and Loch Ness Monster and all. So anyway, they've established the myths or, or yeah. extended the myths. They kept it going. You know, and American myths are very important to me. Yeah. And, as, yeah, and, yeah. and that that turned out to be a very good seller for us. Uh, because it it appealed to people. There's a whole group. Oh you yes, know, crypto, subculture, crypto subculture, yeah. culture. You know, uh, and, and so then Wyatt kept coming up with new ideas. You know, for for like he said, well, how about killer creatures? And so we, I said, well, well of course, that's one of the <laughs> weasels in my flesh. Fresh, yeah. There's dozens of stories uh, with great covers, scores, probably hundreds. And uh, so we did that book, and then... I mean, the, the goal is, we want, th this is, because this stuff is still very fresh, there's nothing particularly, aside from maybe some of the situations, some of the slang, um, these stories have aged very well, and they remain very engrossing, and they remain uh, arresting reading. So the goal was, there's a small group of people who are aware of these magazines, who remember them, who are interested in them, who, who collect them. Um, but there's a whole other group of people who have never heard of these magazines who would love them. Sure. And since it's harder and more becoming more expensive for people to get to get their hands on original issues to the point where they could make a good study of it right. or, or, or amass a good collection, um, that's kind of what our books are doing. We want to introduce these stories and these writers to a new audience and maybe remind the older audience about how good this good stuff, stuff was. was yeah. and, you uh, also are organizing by theme, so so that. The new generation that it might be interested in a particular theme can find yeah. a, a treasure trove. And also by writers. Now, one of the other things we started doing, one of the great writers now passed away two years ago uh, who worked for Men's Adventure magazines is Robert F. Dorr. 
Now, Robert F. Dorr had his own huge fan base because he was one of the most popular military aviation journalists and historians. He wrote 80 books about wow. military wow. aviation history, okay? And he worked for dozens of military and aviation history magazines. So he had this huge base. He wrote for men's adventure magazines. I was a fan of his men's adventure stories. I didn't know about all the other stuff, right. okay? But I did a couple of posts about him on my blog and he contacted me and said, hey, I'm Robert F. Dorr, I'm still around. Let's ah, chat. That's cool. I got to be friends with him via the phone. And so we did a, uh, we, we did a collection of his men's adventure magazine stories called A Handful of Hell, which is titled, the title comes from one of his stories. And uh, we're I'm really, really proud of that book. It's a great book, it's his war and adventure stories. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it, that also, you know, it got beyond just quote unquote men's adventure magazine fans into Robert F. Dorr fans. That's right. And he has a fan base out there. The other one we're going to do coming up is uh, Robert Silverberg sto uh, stories. Robert Silverberg has written under so many pseudonyms, but there was a short lived men's adventure magazine called Exotic Adventures. And when he was younger, living in New York, still. He was writing penny a word sometimes for different pulps and he would, for science fiction pulps. He was doing porn novels, you know. And, and for, not included here. Not included here. <laughs> but he he uh, he wrote most of the stories for for this short-lived uh, magazine called Exotic Adventures under various names, and so we're we're now in the process of. Putting that together, we're trying. Wyatt's got some ideas about a large format version mm -hmm. uh, that we'd put together in that would sort of simulate, in some ways, what the magazine was like. Yeah, a bit of a facsimile. I mean, the design—that's the thing about these magazines. The, the design on them is is really. I mean, uh, the, that mid-century design style. Anyway, you don't even think about it, but you know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of these magazines were, were really um, impressively laid out and designed and large format. Uh, well, enough by yeah. I mean, compared to today's standards, where everything has shrunk down. No, it's a regular magazine. Yeah. Size, okay. Time magazine size, you know. Okay. All right. Um, I got it. As opposed to the old Life, life magazine. Life or yeah. I got it. I got it. There adventure magazines that were that Life look size, but. but they, so you're talking about the design. Yeah, the design, okay. the the typography, the the layout, the presentation. Um, it's great stuff. I mean, I'm a big movie poster fan, so I like I like design. I like mm -hmm. commercial design like that. And it all contributes, you know. Well, I want, you know, we want people to feel like it's a, it's that they're traveling back in time a little bit, even though that, like I say, the stories, they don't, the stories are not particularly dated. The stories are still tight, but um, I think some people are, are just. I think people. I think the what people do know about the men's adventure, what they think they know about the men's adventure magazines. Is often slightly off. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the way that because they were such a, a fixture in the in popular culture, they were parodied quite a bit in right. their time. And I think that the parodies, to some extent, uh, the uh, National Lampoon had one of the more uh, better known parodies that that ran. That stuff is better known. Or, or has a more permanent place in, in people's minds. It's than the skewered the understanding or the memory of it. Yeah, yeah, because these magazines are not. I think the one of the one of the biggest misconceptions is these magazines are very gung ho, conquering hero type stories, and that's really not what they are at all. Grab the girl and have your way, and yeah, all well, of that is not really what's there happening. There were some like that, but I think actually, 
the Vietnam War was kind of a turning point because men's adventure magazines started out, the, the proto men's adventure magazines started out late 40s. They, it began to take shape, take shape as a genre of early 50s. 55 to 65 was the golden era for men's adventure magazines. Starting in the late 60s, they were facing a lot of competition from Playboy and its clones, pushing them off the shelves, mm -hmm. more explicit pornography, okay, which men's, men's adventure mags were not explicit. And because the culture was changing uh, and feminism was, was be becoming a big thing and because of opposition to the war, people were against, quote, kind of against the military in general. And so men's adventure magazines were seen increasingly as sexist, uh, you know, pro-gung-ho war, which is actually not totally true. But I think those perceptions carried over too as, oh, those magazines are too far right, which is not true, in fact. If you read the actual stories, like the war stories even, uh, and men's adventure magazines did a lot of stories about Vietnam, uh -huh. but they weren't blindly gung-ho, rah-rah. A lot of them were written from the grunts level view of the yeah. war about well, how it, bad it was. It sounds that throughout True Men's Adventure, the ones that you ever published, is the, the blue-collar, yep. regular guy ethic kind of stays true all the way through. Okay. And that's one of the appeals. Yes. So yeah. tell me, you, you, you know, we figured out kind of how you guys work together and a broad range of stuff that's offered. If people are interested, where do they go to track this stuff down? We're available pretty much everywhere. I always, I'm a bookstore guy. I always encourage people to order. To, to, if, if your bookstore doesn't carry our titles, they can be special ordered. Um, we've got great distribution, and I, I want people to support their, their local independent bookstores, ideally. If they don't have access to an independent bookstore or they're, they're not being helpful, <laughs> <laughs> we're on Amazon. We're on barnesandnoble.com. We're on um, well, you can get our books through Bob's website, menspulpmags.com, newtexture.com. Did you say that one more time? Menspulpmags.com. That's, uh, that's Bob's blog and website. There's and also, a, interestingly, there's a, a company called Book Depository, which is associated with uh, Ingram, uh, which is, they publish, they print our, and distribute our books. Cool. And bookdepository.com ships worldwide free shipping. It's cool. amazing. It's kind of a new thing. But that helps get us out there uh, around the world now. And, uh, and we're also on Amazon UK and Amazon Canada and Amazon Australia because Ingram supplies all of those outlets. And, and you can and check so, out all those, you can check out all the Men's Adventure Library books and other New Texture books at newtexture.com. Excellent. All right, so we have Rob Dice and Wyatt Doyle bringing back, salvaging a chunk of uh, American literature and American myth in the men's adventure. Gentlemen, thank you very much for thank helping you, us tell the damn story. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Great job, man.